have theology without doxology, you just have dead, cold orthodoxy, which is horrible, right? On the other side, you have the people who say, ah, forget about theology, I just want to praise, right? But if you have doxology without theology, you actually have idolatry. Well, I have some bad news. That's going to be the last time you're going to hear that intro. <laughs> Which Nate worked very hard on putting that together. All right? And the reason why that's going to be the last time is this happens to be the concluding message, not on Ephesians, but on this particular series in Ephesians. All right? As we have been taking an in depth look at a number of verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, the other thing I need to mention to you is that very shortly, if not already, you will begin to smell certain things wafting into this auditorium. All right? Now, um, I'm sharing that with you to let you know that I am going to be very respectful of your time, and we will get out of here reasonably on time, okay? If you have not already heard or made plans to attend the potluck and then afterwards our church business meeting, which I know business meeting sounds boring, it won't be, all right? Because we're going to have some really cool stuff that will be shared with our church family during that time. Um, but I just want to invite you, um, maybe change your plans, come and join us for the potluck, stick around, join us for the business meeting afterwards, and just kind of find out what we're doing as a church family. Wasn't the worship awesome? You know, uh, yeah. I, I would not want to embarrass Nate and Rachel for anything, but I have been to lots and lots of church services going clear back before I can even remember as a child. And honestly, our worship team is awesome. Um, we are really, really blessed in that way. All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at verses 13 to 16 this morning, and I'm calling our message Spiritual Transformation. As we conclude this part in Ephesians, really, in a number of ways, this is kind of like the culminating passage that we're looking at. Going clear back to when we began this series at the very beginning of chapter 4, where Paul described himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then we learned about the importance of the oneness that we have as a body, the oneness of our faith, and that the Lord has bestowed upon us all of these gifts, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the body of Christ and to be, bring glory to Christ. Now, what we're going to find out today is specifically how we go about being changed into the kind of people God wants us to be. All right? That's the point of verses 13 through 16 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now, before we get into that, let me just share with you a quick story of transformation. You'll see on the screen a picture of a little boy. His name happens to be Lars. And this was uh, from an old movie called Hans Christian Andersen. And if you notice, Lars has a smile on his face. Now, let me tell you, he didn't have a smile on his face when he first shows up in the film. As a matter of fact, he was very, very sad because he had been teased, he had been bullied, and you can kind of get an idea why. It's because his head had been shaved because he had been very, very sick 
And his parents did this basically to help him to become better. But kids being the kind of people that kids can be, Lars had been teased and bullied about his appearance. So the man whose back is to you wearing the hat tells Lars a story. It happens to be a story that the man made up himself called the ugly duckling. And as he explains this story, by the way, the man is Hans Christian Andersen in the film. And as he tells the story that Christensen, or Christian, is known for, he explains how there once was this bird that did not fit in. He thought he was a duckling. He didn't look anything like a duckling. So they called him the ugly duckling. And he was teased and he was bullied. And then eventually this young bird discovered his true identity. And his true identity was indeed he was not a duckling. He was a swan. And when he grew up, he blossomed into this beautiful swan. He was transformed. You can see it on Lara's face. He now has a true sense of his worth that he's not just some kid with, unfortunately, has lost his hair. Rather, he is a person of worth. He's a person of value. That's what he's caught on to. Likewise, if you're in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you are a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away all things are new. That's our spiritual reality. But how do we transform? How do we change? How do we live out being a new creation in Christ? That's what this passage is about that we're going to look at. All right? Now, let me first of all touch upon what we learned last week from Pastor Daniel. Pastor Daniel took us through Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 and 12, and here it is, one more time. It says there, and he, that's Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, some of our Bibles have pastors there, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Five ministry gifts that are listed there. Notice they're all provided by Jesus. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that it is the Holy Spirit who also picks each and every gift that goes to each and every person. It is God's sovereign decision as to who gets what gift. It's the same for these. Two purposes, though, for the gifts. First of all, they are to prepare all, not some, not the vocational staff. They are to prepare all of God's people for works of ministry, for works of service. So everybody has a gift. Everybody is called to use that gift to minister to one another in the body of Christ. Two, and there's the other purpose, to build up the body, the church. So as we grow in the Lord, we are to be ministering to one another, ministering to the body, spiritually bringing about the growth and maturity of the body, 
that's how the process goes. Now, that's what we learned last week. Then let's take a look at verses 13 through 16 of Ephesians 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, there is a whole lot there. The main idea that I want us to get across is this. The Lord seeks to transform his people so that, number one, we grow up in him, and number two, we serve and love each other. Now, there's a lot of other thoughts that Paul packs into that, but if we had to summarize it, that's the main thing that he is driving at. So, talking about spiritual transformation, sorry, I'm an old classical preacher. We like three parts to our sermons, okay? This is another three-point sermon, all right? Spiritual transformation includes three steps. Number one, this is from verse 13, pursuing the right goals. We better have the right focus at the very beginning, otherwise we will never get to spiritual transformation. Number two, rejecting bad alternatives. And sadly, there are a lot of bad alternatives that are out there that can get us into all kinds of trouble. And number three, growing properly in Christ, which I'll tell you up front, that involves mutual ministry done in love, as we're going to see, okay? So let's take a look again one more time at verse 13 for the first step, pursuing the right goals. So read with me again verse 13. Until... Now remember, we're looking back at verses 11 and 12. The five ministry gifts that the, God, the Lord has given, that he has provided for his church so that the church grows up, so that we grow in ministry one to another until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until we all attain. No child of God, no child of God is going to be left behind. All of us, we all will attain eventually to the maturity that Christ wants to see in us. It's a guarantee. It's part of our process as we grow. Notice we attain this, okay? Now, that Greek word attain simply means to attain, all right? You attain something, for example, when you finish a journey. So as Paul was traveling during his different missionary journeys with his compadres, 
all right? They're, they're described in the book of Acts. Whether he went to Philippi, whether he went to Corinth, whether he went to Ephesus, or whether he wound up back in Jerusalem, each time he arrived at a destination, all right? But this word attain also means, as here, to reach a goal. And there are three goals that Paul mentions briefly in this one verse. The first goal, notice, it's the unity of the faith. The faith. We're talking here what we sometimes describe as the close-handed doctrines, truths of the faith. The absolute essentials of Christianity. Things like, for example, that we will all stand before Christ, whether we are saved or whether, sadly, we have never come to saving knowledge of Christ. Every single person will stand before him. That's part of the faith. The reality of heaven, the reality of hell, the authority of scripture to provide all that we need to grow in our Christian walk, that's another essential. The triune nature of God, that's another essential. The deity of Christ, that he is fully man and fully God, these are all essentials of the faith. That's part of the unity that we are to grow into. It's one reason why, guys, as Pastor Daniel and several of us, Pastor Jonathan and others, have been looking at what are we going to do in terms of future preaching ministry here at Resurrection Church, one of the things we are considering for next year is to do a doctrine series. It's that important, all right, that we all be properly grounded in the faith because sadly, a lot of people are not. Now, the next goal... Notice, looking again at the verse, is knowledge of the Son of God. That's interesting. This is the only place in Ephesians where Paul uses that phrase, Son of God, to describe Jesus. All right? That word knowledge, a lot of times when the Greek language, when they use the word for knowledge, they simply use the Greek word, and and some of you probably have heard it before, gnosis. But Paul does something one better here. He puts a little prefix in front of that Greek word gnosis here. It's epignosis. What he means is simply not just knowledge of Jesus, the Son of God, but focused knowledge. Knowledge focused like a laser, a dogged determination that Paul had to know Jesus better. He describes this in Philippians. Philippians 3, part of verse 8, it says this. Looking back at his own life, he says, but whatever were gains to me, speaking about his past as a Pharisee, as a man who was zealous for Judaism, as a man who attacked and persecuted the church, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I now consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's like the parable, the very short parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 4 of a man who finds hidden treasure in a field. 
And that treasure is so valuable to him that he sells everything he has and uses all of his resources just to buy that field. Knowing Jesus was that important to Paul, it needs to be that important to us. Now, what's this leading up to? The third goal is simply to mature manhood. That's how it's phrased in the ESV translation. It actually literally says a full-grown man. Notice it's singular. Because when we get to the next verse, and Paul is talking about what we do not want to be doing, the alternatives we've got to avoid, he talks about the fact that we do not want to be children any longer. Because you get a bunch of children together, all right, 12 different children, are they going to agree a lot of times on things? No, they're not. There's going to be division, there's going to be divisiveness, there's going to end up with arguments, but that's in our past. What we are to be now is one united body. It's the same thing that Paul described in Ephesians 2.15. One united body growing in maturity. And how long is this going to take or where are we growing toward? Notice he says, until we experience his phrase, the fullness of Christ. When Jesus returns, when we experience what Paul says, the perfect, when the perfect comes, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, when we are forever in the Lord's presence, that's the fullness. That's what we're looking forward to. Think of it this way, guys. Imagine a little thimble, okay? And we take this little thimble, and I happen to like grape juice, all right? But you know that when we celebrate communion here at church, how much grape juice do they give us? About a thimble full, okay? So we drink that, and oh yes, it's very nice, and it is. It's wonderful to celebrate communion. But I can tell you, I'm never satisfied with a thimble full. But that right now, kind of that thimble represents our present capacity of what we have, of what we can attain at this point. But when the perfect comes, when we all stand before Jesus, we're no longer going to have our little thimble. We're going to have a vat. We're going to have an incredible capacity to grow and to deepen in our relationship with Lord. And get this, when our vat begins to run a little low at some time in eternity, guess what? God just adds to the vat. It's a never-ending growing process. That's the fullness of Christ. That's interesting. Bible scholars a lot of times like to talk about what's called the already versus the not yet. The deal is this. Are we already in Jesus? You bet we are. If you know Christ, you are already in Christ. You're already beginning to grow. These kind of goals are beginning to happen in your life. But have you fully attained it? Not even close. So we are already beginning to experience 
something of the fullness of eternal life here and now, but that is nothing compared to the fullness of Christ when we stand before him. That's our ultimate goal, guys. And we don't want to let anything stand in the way of achieving that goal. All right, so the first step in spiritual transformation, again, is to pursue the right goals. Three goals that he listed for us there in verse 13. The second step, verse 14, reject the bad alternatives. So let's take a look again at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. First thing he says, so that we may no longer be what? All right. That kind of implies the idea that spiritually speaking, at one time, we were children. And you know what? It's an extremely good idea that at one time, we were children, spiritually speaking, and here's why. When Jesus' disciples were kind of jockeying to see who was going to be the greatest in God's kingdom in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, it tells us that Jesus then took a little child, brought the little child in the midst of his disciples, and told his disciples, look, guys, unless you become like this little child, you will never even enter my kingdom. A little child trusts. A little child exercises simple faith. That's how we get into the kingdom. We all at one time had to come in as children, otherwise we don't come in. All right? And I'm not speaking in terms of our physical age. I'm speaking in terms of simply approaching and coming in with childlike faith. But if someone does not move on to spiritual adulthood, if they never grow past that children stage, that's trouble. It's sort of like and we've all been through this, those of us who have had kids or we know people, others in our families and friends who have had kids, you know, you first of all, of course, have the baby, all right? Baby's a little cute, but baby can't do much, okay? Just kind of goos and, and, you know, cries and poops and that's about it, okay? But eventually, that little kid starts to figure out what these things are for, okay? And then it's like, uh-oh, they start running around the house, and what do we have to do as soon as that kid begins running around the house? We have to baby-proof the house, all right? We got to put covers over all the outlets because we don't want the kid taking a fork or a knife. Oh, what's this? That's bad. We got to child-proof all of the cabinets. And that's a good thing, okay? But then imagine that same kid now 15 years later, okay, they're 16, 17 years old. Do we still have to baby-proof everything? I hope not. Because we hope that they have grown into maturity to realize, no, I really should not take a knife and stick it in that outlet. That might be a bad thing. Now, there's two signs of spiritual immaturity that Paul gives for us here. The first sign 
Notice how he describes that somebody who's immature in their faith, they're like still a child, but they're also like being blown about, okay? Tossed about. That sign, guys, is simply this, instability. The spiritual immature lack what we would call an even keel. Instead of having stability as they're buffeted about, as we are all buffeted about in this life, they bob about like a cork in a hurricane. They're susceptible to any new idea, whether good, bad, or horrible, that happens to come blowing their way. One writer, Peter O'Brien, he described it this way, the spiritually mature. Unable to come to settled convictions or evaluate various forms of teaching, they fall easy prey to every theological fad. The first, one of the first jobs I had in terms of serving God in some kind of a ministry was working at a Christian bookstore, and that was some 40 years ago. Let me tell you, there have been a lot of theological fads over 40 years. And you could spot them basically because those are the books a lot of times we'd end up putting on the, you know, three for a dollar table. All right? What we needed to do is simply get rid of them because they were junk. But the spiritually immature can't tell the good stuff from the bad stuff because they don't have stability. And that leads us to the other sign of spiritual immaturity, and that is a lack of discernment. The spiritually immature cannot discern the difference between the Lord's truths that will bring healing and restoration to their souls versus poisonous half-truths and lies. Imagine, next Halloween, kids are going from door to door or you know, from place to place getting candy like they do on Halloween, And they come to this one house, and unfortunately at this house, they've run out of candy. But then they decide, oh, not to worry, we'll give them something. And so when the kids come up and knock on the door, they don't get any candy. Instead, somebody ran to basically the laundry room, grabbed the Tide Pods, and plops a Tide Pod into every kid's jack-o'-lantern. That's a lack of discernment. Now what's really sad is you get a 12, 13, 14 year old kid like we remember a few years ago who is, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna pop this Tide Pod and I'm gonna chew it. It's poison. They ought to know better. See, that's a lack of discernment. The word human cunning, that phrase that Paul uses, the word cunning, It's used for dice playing in Greek. Later, it has the idea of somebody who cheats. False teachers, false doctrine, use loaded dice. It's like what P.T. Barnum said a long time ago. There's a sucker born every minute. That's what these false teachers tap into. Now, before we move on, notice as well, These people, these false teaching, it's based upon what Paul says, deceitful schemes. Now, 
That word translated in our Bible schemes, we get our English word methods from it. You could also translate it as strategies. But guys, it only shows up in one other place in the New Testament besides here. And it happens to also be in Ephesians. If you go with me just a couple pages or a little ways over on your, ta- on your app, go over to Ephesians chapter 6 and take a look. I'm going to start reading at verse 10, but I want us to focus on Ephesians 6, 11. Read this with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the what? Schemes of the devil. Same Greek word. The point is this. Behind every false teacher and doctrine is the father of lies himself. Jesus himself said in John 8, that Satan is a liar. It's part of his very nature to lie, to deceive. We are in a spiritual battle, folks, and it is getting darker and it is getting more deadly out there. And it will continue to do so up until the Lord returns. We have got to have discernment as to what's truth, what's real, what's authentic versus what is a lie. And by the way, what's the antidote for spiritual immaturity? Well, Paul gives it. You go with me just a few pages over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Go with me over there. Colossians 2. I want us to just take a quick look at verses 1 to 4. Here's what Paul wrote to the Colossian church, a church that was battling false doctrine, false teaching. Here's what he said. For I want you to know how great a struggle, this is verse 1, chapter 2 of Colossians. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. We're kind of in that category too, aren't we? We have not seen Paul face to face. And if you have seen Paul face to face, we need to talk. Okay? Let's keep going. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The antidote for spiritual immaturity is Jesus. It is focusing and properly evaluating the incredible riches and knowledge and power that are available in Jesus. And we will not find it anywhere else. We want to spiritually grow up. Focus on Jesus. That's the key. Now, the third step, coming back to Ephesians, the third step in spiritual transformation is in, is in verses 15 and 16. All right? Growing properly in Christ. So let's read Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice this begins with truth and love. Now, in the ESV translation, like some other Bibles, it says, speaking the truth in love. It's also possible, guys, that Paul may have meant more than simply speaking the truth in love, okay? It might be the idea of not just speaking, but being people of truth, people who are authentic even though they are imperfect followers of Jesus. It's like what John wrote to churches like Ephesus in 1 John. He says this, little children, that's us, let us not love in word or speech but in action and in truth. If our life doesn't match our words, what good is our words? If our life we're living is not supported by us actually telling people the source of our values, the source of our new birth, what good is our life if we don't have words to back it up? Truth and love, they have to go together. It's like what John Stott, he wrote, read a lot of books during his long life. He says this, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. It's two sides of the same coin. Let's go on. Notice here as well, Paul says that we are growing in every way into him who is the head. That's Jesus. Now that Greek word there for head, kephale, it can mean either the idea of a ruler or the idea of source or origin. Just happens to be that Jesus is both for us. He is our ruler, he is our Lord, and as this verse says, he's also the source or origin of our spiritual life. He actually told us this, he told his disciples, and he told us in John 15, five, where he says there, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit from apart from me, you can do lots of things. Good, you are paying attention. Let's try it again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Growing in Jesus means staying connected to Jesus. It doesn't happen any other way. And we know that because every time that we've tried to grow on our own and we're kind of getting sloppy in terms of our personal devotions, we're getting sloppy in terms of what we're focusing our minds on, we don't grow, do we? We start going backwards. Why? We're starting to lose our connection to the head. Now that doesn't change the fact that we're a child of God, but it sure changes our idea of our spiritual joy we have in our walk with the Lord, doesn't it? You want to grow in Jesus? Stay connected to Jesus. And finally, 
Last part of verse 16. He says there, talking about keeping community in Christ, staying together as a body in Christ. We are to be joined and we are held together. These words mean virtually the same thing, but the idea is this is an ongoing effort. It's not a one-time deal, guys. We got to keep being joined. We got to keep holding on to each other. And it's not just the present, it's also the fact that God is the one who helps us in this process. We're not doing this in our own strength. It's called a divine passive. It means simply that we're doing something and God is strengthening and helping us to be able to do it. Being joined, being held together. And, you know, Paul used this kind of wording earlier in Ephesians. Back in chapter 2, verses 19 to 21, he says this. So then you, that's us, the church, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together. That sounds familiar. By the way, that's a word Paul made up. Doesn't show anywhere else in Greek literature before here. So he created his own word. Joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, let me tell you something that they knew, all right? Everybody who lived in the Roman world, whenever they saw a building that was built during Roman times, they didn't have any mortar, okay? Like we use with laying bricks. So when they made a building, they made it out of stone. And they didn't have any mortar to hold the stones together. What held the stones together is they would very carefully chip and shave those stones to where there would be an exact fit. And this exact fit of those stones is such that even to this day, in some of the structures the Romans built over 2,000 years ago, you still cannot take the thin blade of a pocket knife and insert it between those stones. They are that close together. You get the idea of what we are to be as a church. We are fitted and joined together, and God is the master craftsman that forms us and builds us and puts us together. All of us, every joint with which it is equipped, each part working properly. Now, how do we do that? Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. That's how it's done. That's how we're fitted and joined together. But there's one other thing. Notice the very end of this verse. It says, so that it, that's us, the church, builds itself up in what? Love. Everything we do as a body of believers, whether it's in this church, whether it's in any church that preaches the gospel, everything is to be tempered 
by love. That's why Peter wrote, Above all, keep loving each other earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We're pretty good at stepping on each other's toes, aren't we? When that happens, remember, love covers a multitude of sins. Something else we have to remember, forgiveness. Tell you up front, if we don't get good at forgiving, like the Lord told us to, Ephesians 4.32, forgive, present tense, keep on forgiving as God forgave you in Christ. We gotta remember that. Because if we don't, if we aren't good at forgiving each other, we're never gonna grow as Christians. Forgiveness and love. That's what's supposed to help us. And we desperately need to practice as we trust the Lord to give us the strength and the ability to change. So again, the main idea of these verses, one more time, the Lord seeks to transform his people so that number one, we grow in him, and number two, we love and serve each other. Okay, as we wrap this up, and notice it's 12.05, okay? Plenty of time for the potluck, all right? But in conclusion, three questions. And these are addressed simply as you, but I'm including myself because frankly, if we're gonna be exposed to biblical truth, we gotta get personal, guys. It's not just meant to be a bunch of facts, it's meant to be something that changes, that challenges us. Number one, are you pursuing the right goals? I'm learning, now that I'm 61, I got a lot of time on my odometer. I don't need to waste time pursuing the wrong goals. Are you focusing on the unity of the faith? Are you focusing on wanting to know Jesus better? Are you focusing on spiritual maturity? That's the right goals. Number two, are you seeking spiritual maturity in Christ? Are you somebody, as you honestly look at your life, man, I just get blown all over the place. Are you somebody who's trying to put down deep roots in your faith? Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time fellowshipping with other Christians who are challenging you and encouraging you to grow deep in Christ. Are you seeking spiritual maturity in Jesus? And number three, are you helping or hindering the church to grow? Are you using your gifts that God has given you to be a blessing and a help to others? That's what we're called to do. Well, we're gonna have a time of response. I'd invite you, if God's been dealing with you about anything from this scripture or other things you've been struggling with, I'd encourage you to come forward for prayer. We always wanna be sensitive to whatever God is doing in our lives. So we'll have pastors, some of our elders here at the front, but if you need to pray and have somebody pray with you, Come on down.